Hi, hello, and welcome to this wonderful new episode of The Lives and Styles of Old Hollywood. After covering Vivian Lee, aka Scarlett O'Hara, last week, of course, this week I have to dedicate the episode to Rhett Butler, and that is Clark Gable. Clark Gable was the king of Hollywood, one of the most consistent box office performers in the history of all of Hollywood, and he was one of the greatest male movie stars of classic American cinema. So let's dive right in. Clark Gable was actually born William Clark Gable on February 1st, 1901 in Cadiz, Ohio. His mother died, unfortunately, when he was only 10 months old, and he stayed with his father, William Henry Gable, an oil well triller. And he got a stepmom two years later in Jenny Dunlap. And Dunlap raised him like her own son. She taught him how to be well-dressed and well-groomed, and she gave him piano lessons. Later, Gable would switch to brass instruments and became part of the Hopedale Men's Town Band when he was only 13 years old. He also had a soft spot for Shakespeare and loved to recite poems by the great English writer. But he also loved to tinkle with mechanics and he repaired cars with his father. His father actually did insist that he do masculine, physically strenuous work. Well, he did that and he would help his father with farming when Gable Sr. moved the family to Palmyra Township near Akron, Ohio. And later, he would also help him in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he was wildcatting and sludge removing from the oil fields. Clark Gable decided to become an actor when seeing the play The Bird of Paradise at the age of 17, but would wait until he was 21 to pursue his ambition. He started touring with second-class stock companies and increased his income with odd jobs. He somewhat settled in Portland, Oregon, working as a salesman for neckties at a department store. And another actor working there was Earl Larrymore, who you probably do not know. But he was the nephew of Laura Hope Cruz. And Laura Hope Cruz, on the one hand, is the one who had helped Gloria Swanson write the script for her first talkie, which I covered in an earlier episode. And on the other hand, Laura Hope Cruz would be the one who would play Auntie Pittypat in Gone with the Wind which we all know Clark Gable did star in. And it was Larry Moore, the nephew of Laura Hope Cruz, who introduced Gable to Franz Dörfler. And just to be clear, Franz Dörfler was a girl. I was very confused when I was reading about that for the first time, like, oh, he was bisexual. Well, no, Franz Dörfler is a rather pretty woman. <laughs> so just to clear that up. And the beautiful actress and he, they started dating. They auditioned together for the stock company Astoria Players. They got the parts and they moved to Astoria. And they toured with the group until its bankruptcy. They then moved back to Portland and Gable got a job with Pacific Telephone. And it was through Franz Dörfler that Clark Gable met Josephine Dillon. Josephine Dillon was a theater manager and acting coach in Portland. And she became the patron and manager of Clark Gable. She paid to get his teeth fixed, built up his rather undernourished body, and suggested he'd only use his middle name. So William Clark Gable became Clark Gable. Dylan also trained his voice from very high-pitched to a manly baritone, which also helped his facial expressions relax. But it was only in 1924, when Gable was 23 years old, that he moved to Hollywood. And there, Gable and Dylan got married. 
Gable was 23, as I said, and Dylan was 40. But on a wedding certificate, they would claim to be 24 and 34, which would still be a rather large age gap for that time. Clark Gable's first roles, which apparently there are 17 of, were uncredited roles as an extra in notable movies like The Merry Widow, The Plastic Age or Forbidden Paradise. But credited roles, let alone lead roles, were nowhere in sight. So Gable went back to the theatre in Hollywood, Houston and New York. He was described as young, vigorous and brutally masculine for his Broadway performance in Mackinac in 1928. He would only start acting in movies again in 1930, in William Boyd's western The Painted Desert, for Pate, which was coincidentally also Gable's first sound picture. He would change to Warner Brothers afterwards, but Daryl F. Sinuk was not impressed by Gable, being quoted, his ears are too big and he looks like an ape. Instead, MGM's Irving Tolberg signed Gable for $650 a week, which today would be roughly $12,000. As Gable just had dissolved his marriage to his manager Josephine Dillon, Minna Wallace, the sister of producer Hal Wallace, became his agent. She also represented stars like Claudette Colbert, Myrna Loy and Norma Shearer, all of whom coincidentally would become frequent co-stars to Gable later on. And it was actually Gable's luck that he had come to Hollywood at that very moment that MGM was looking to expand his roster of male stars. And he definitely fit the description. The image they wanted to create for him was a lumberjack and evil in clothes persona, trying to make him boyish and elegant, masculine and refined at the same time. And of course, one of the strategies to market him was to put him in pictures alongside beautiful, well-established actresses of the time, like Joan Crawford and Norma Shearer. A reporter for The Hollywood Reporter wrote about his 1931 performance in A Free Soul opposite Norma Shearer, A star in the making has been made, one that, to our reckoning, will outdraw every other star. Never have we seen audiences work themselves into such enthusiasm as when Clark Gable walks on the screen. When Gable starred in Red Dust opposite Gene Harlow, his unshaven lovemaking made him the top leading man for MGM. The winning combination of Harlow and Gable continued for all in all six movies until Harlow died during the filming of the last movie, Saratoga. In 1934, Clark Gable was lent to Columbia to film It Happened One Night opposite Claudette Colbert. And this movie was the first movie to win Oscars in all five of the major categories, including Best Actor and Best Actress. It was one of the first successful screwball comedies that rang in this new genre in Hollywood. And the movie had two other results. First, sales for men's undershirts went down because Clark Gable didn't wear any in the movie. And of course, every man wanted to be like Clark Gable. And second, Bugs Bunny's famous pose of nonchalantly eating carrots was inspired by Clark Gable. Who would do something like that in the movie? And that is a connection I would have never made. From that movie onwards, Clark Gable would stay in the top 10 of Hollywood's box office successes and top money makers for almost 10 years until the start of World War II. 1935's Mutiny on the Bounty co-starring Charles Laughton and Franco Tone garnered Gable his second Academy Award nomination for Best Actor, Funnily, all three of these stars of the film were nominated. 
None of them won, though. But the movie received the Oscar for Best Picture. And then... Then came Gone with the Wind. And Gone with the Wind would become Gable's most famous movie. And his last line from the movie, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, is one of the most memorable lines ever. One of the first ones ever to suggest he would be perfect for the role was his then-wife Carol Lombard, who bought him a copy of Mitchell's bestseller. David O. Selznick initially wanted Gary Cooper to play the role of Rhett Butler, but Cooper declined and is quoted to have said, Gone with the Wind is going to be the biggest flop in Hollywood history. Well, was he wrong? The movie went on to become one of the biggest movies of Hollywood history. And whenever a re-release happened, Clark Gable was back in the favor of audiences and executives. Definitely one of the reasons that he stayed a star actor for the rest of his life. He received roughly $2.5 million for the movie when adjusted for inflation. Well, and then World War II came. Just like James Stewart, Clark Gable enlisted in the army during World War II in 1942. It was shortly after the death of Carol Lombard when Gable was absolutely devastated. Lombard actually had urged him numerous times to do so since the US had entered the war. And he was commissioned to make movies for the Air Force, mostly recruiting new men. But he did aerial training and spent a considerable amount of time in England with the 352nd Bomb Group. He flew at least five combat missions, during one of which his aircraft was damaged. He even narrowly escaped death when flak went through his shoe and missed his head. Apparently, Adolf Hitler liked Clark Gable as an actor very much and put out a reward for those capturing Gable unscathed. MGM was rather afraid to lose his most profitable star in combat and pleaded to get him off combat duty and back to the States. So, Gable was ordered back and finished some promotional movies for the Air Force. In 1944, he was finally discharged with his papers signed by none other than Captain Ronald Reagan, the later president of the US. Gable received numerous honors for his military services, amongst them the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Air Medal, the American Campaign Medal, as well as the World War II Victory Medal. When Gable returned to Hollywood, he would make solid movies, liked by audiences and critics opposite female stars like Loretta Young, Barbara Stanwyck, Ava Gardner, Deborah Kerr, Crea Garson and Jean Turney. Gable liked Turney a lot and was quite disappointed when she was swapped for Grace Kelly for 1953's Mogambo. Mogambo actually is a rewrite of Gable's earlier success Red Dust and a rumor about him having an affair with Grace Kelly upped the press coverage and made the movie a huge success. Nevertheless, Gable got unhappy with MGM, believing his roles to be mediocre, whilst MGM thought his salary to be too high. Gable did not renew his contract, but instead made two movies for 20th Century Fox of only moderate success, a movie for Warner Brothers and one Western with his own production company. Gable was offered numerous roles on the ever more popular TV, but he never accepted any of the offers. Instead, in 1958, Gable went on to work for Paramount, where he was paired first with Doris Day for Teacher's Pet and with Burt Lancaster for Run Silent, Run Deep with Carol Baker in But Not For Me, and in 1960 with Sophia Lorraine for It Started in Naples. Actually, Gable apparently ballooned to 230 pounds during the filming of It Started in Naples due to pasta and dolce vita, and he put himself on a crash diet afterwards to pass a physical for his next movie. 
And that movie would be The Misfits, co-starring Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery Clift, Ellie Wallach and Thurma Ritter. It was Gaber's last movie and he would die from two heart attacks before the movie's release on November the 16th, 1960. During his movie career, Clark Gable was often paired with the same female co-stars who promised Offic success because of their on-screen chemistry. So he was partnered with John Crawford eight times, Myrna Loy seven times, Jean Harlow six times, Lana Turner four times, Norma Shearer and Eva Gardner three times each. So most of the movies that Clark Gable made were with recurring co-stars. Clark Gable was called the king of Hollywood, the manliest man of Hollywood. And of course, uh, this guy had some affairs, relationships and marriages. So, as I said before, he had a relationship with Franz Dörfler. They lived together and got engaged when Gable was roughly 21 years old. They parted ways when Gable went on to have a relationship with Josephine Dillon. But these two remained on good terms and Dörfler would later help Gable in a court case. Josephine Dillon was Gable's first wife, as we already heard, and they married when Gable was only 23 years old and Dillon 17 years his senior. She would promote and manage him in his early Hollywood years. Gable would ask for divorce many times, but Dillon never believed that he meant it until 1930, after six years of marriage. Only two days after the divorce from Dillon, Gable married Texas socialite Maria Franklin Prentice Lucas Langham, who was nicknamed Rhea. This marriage dissolved after nine years without children. And only 13 days after the divorce from Rhea was finalized, he married wife number three, Carol Lombard, during a production break from Gone with the Wind in March 1939. Carol Lombard probably can be called Gable's true love. They had met seven years earlier during the filming of No Man of Her Own, when Lombard was still married to Hollywood star William Powell. They met again in 1936, when the affair probably started. Gable was still married to Rhea because of the expensive divorce, which he was only able to start when filming Gone with the Wind, which came with a nice salary. Gable and Lombard would buy a ranch from director Raoul Walsh in Encino, California. They would have a host of animals raising chickens and horses and calling each other Ma and Pa. It was a very enchanting life until World War II started. Lombard would help with war effort, with war bond drives. But flying back from one of those, she and 21 other passengers perished when the plane crashed due to pilot error. Apparently, Gable was never the same, although going on to make almost 30 more movies and marrying twice more. Movie star Esther Williams would say about him, he had been devastated by Carol's death. Well, seven years after Lombard's passing, and when being back from World War II, Gable married model, actress and social lead Sylvia Ashley, who had been previously married to Douglas Fairbanks Sr. But their marriage was unhappy and divorced three years later. And then his last wife, Kay Spreckles, came along. Kay Spreckles was an actress of minor successes who had already married three times. First to Charles Capps, then to Argentinian cattle tycoon Martin de Alzaga, and last to Adolf Bernard Spreckles II, heir to the Spreckles Sugar Empire. 
With the latter, she had two kids, including Bunker Spreckles, who would lead a debauched celebrity surfer lifestyle in the 1960s and 1970s, which also led to his early death by morphine overdose at the age of 27. Gable and Kay were married for five years when Gable died in 1960, and only four months after his death, Kay would give birth to his only son, John Clark Gable. Additionally, Clark Gable had notable affairs with actresses Virginia Cray, Paulette Goddard and maybe Marion Davies. His co-star in 1932's Polly of the Circus. He was quite an armored and wooed her. Well, and then there are two affairs of Clark Gable we have to talk about. The first one would be Joan Crawford. Adele Rogers St. John's, one of the gossip columnists of Hollywood, would later say about the Gable and Crawford relationship that it was the affair that nearly burned Hollywood down. Crawford was married to Douglas Fairbanks Jr. during that time at MGM together, and Louis B. Meyer himself ordered Crawford and Gable to stay apart from each other. Well, and then there's Loretta Young. Apparently, in 1935, when Gable was 34 and Loretta Young 22, he date-raped Young. She became pregnant, hit the pregnancy, got the baby and managed to claim to have adopted the little baby girl 19 months after birth. Gable only once visited his daughter, Judy Lewis, when she was around 15 years old. Lewis would only find out about her real biological father five years after Gable's death, when she was almost 30 years old. Clark Gable had a lot of great friends in Hollywood. He was a great chap, apparently. So one of his earliest and longest friendships was with Lionel Barrymore. They met around 1926 in Hollywood, when Gable was returning to the stage. Barrymore apparently first didn't like Gable's acting style, but their friendship would last a lifetime. Second, it's Spencer Tracy. Tracy and Gable met in 1936, when Gable was 35 years old and Tracy 36. They starred in three movies together, which got Tracy's career really off the ground. Their successful collaboration stopped when Tracy got a new star contract that stipulated top billing, as did Gable's. But off-screen, these two were close friends and Tracy was one of the very few attending the funeral service for Gable's wife, Carol Lombard. Then there's Hattie McDaniel. Hattie McDaniel and Gable worked together on Gone with the Wind, with McDaniel being Scarlett's mammy. Gable was a strong opponent to segregation and fought for the rights of the African-Americans working on Gone with the Wind. Hattie McDaniel and Clark Gable formed the friendship during the movie and stayed friends for life. And Gable would always show up at her Hollywood parties. And then there's Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly and Clark Gable had been rumored to have an affair during the filming of Mogambo, as they were dining together frequently and spending quite some time together. But it actually was, on all accounts, a very deep friendship, lacking any sexual attraction whatsoever, according to Grace Kelly. And finally, there's David Niven and his wife Primula. Gable and Niven had been quite close friends. And Primula stood by Gable's side after Carol Lombard's death, consoling him. Gable, on the other hand, supported David Niven after Primula's sudden death. She was only 28 years old at that time and fractured her skull while playing hide-and-seek. 
One of the things that I admire about Clark Gable is his courage and his fight for equal rights. During the filming of Gone with the Wind, Gable would almost walk off the set when realizing that the set and the facilities were segregated, so divided into areas for white people and black people. He demanded for all signs indicating such things to be taken down. If not, he would stop working on the picture. And so it was done. He also did not want to attend the Atlanta premiere of the movie, as the African-American actors of the movie were not permitted to attend. He only went when Hattie McDaniel, who played Mammy in Gone with the Wind, begged him to. So he had his heart in the right place. And of course, when we're talking about Clark Gable, the manliest man of Hollywood, or as Life magazine would say, all men and then some, we have to talk about style. Doris Day would say about Clark Gable, he was as masculine as any man I've ever known and as much a little boy as a grown man could be. It was this combination that had such devastating effect on women. And his friend Joan Crawford is quoted saying, He was a king wherever he went. He earned the title. He walked like one, he behaved like one, and he was the most masculine man that I've ever met in my life. Gable had balls. And Marilyn Monroe's husband, Arthur Miller, allegedly described Gable as the man who did not know how to hate. So this gives the image of, wow, what a man. But he was very conscious of the image he portrayed, of the person the audiences would perceive him to be. For example, in Run Silent, Run Deep, Gable demanded alterations to the script as he would not go down with submarine because Gable does not sink. Also, in The Misfits, he demanded the scene to be removed because it would indicate that Gable's character stole a woman from a friend. Something a Gable character would never do. So he was a great man off-screen and he tried his best to be the same noble character on-screen. I know I talked about Loretta Young and I think this is the most horrible thing he could have done, but... He's a human and he did make a mistake. This does not take away from all the good things he did and the man he was at like the 99% of his life from which was different. Style-wise, you can say that Gable is a good example for showing that style isn't something you are born with, but something you develop and cultivate throughout your life. And it was also thanks to Josephine Dillon and the studios that invested in their star that Clark Gable was able to become the well-groomed, well-styled, well-mannered and manly man that he's known for. What are some style things that Clark Gable introduced? Well, first, he did not like undershirts and he was solely responsible for dropping sales by 40%. And secondly, he was known for his suits. He almost always wore suits and had them tailored to fit, as was custom back then. Either two-piece or three-piece suits with wide lapels. Button-down shirts, v-necks and pleated trousers were other staples that he knew worked for him his figure, his style, his persona. Essentially what Clark Gable did was he paired his own style and clothing with what was required in his movies and wherever he went. He is an example of adapt your styling to your surroundings and the task you have to achieve. But stay you, always. But Gable's ultimate style trick was his confidence. Just the right clothes wouldn't have made him into who he was. He owned his personality, his character, and the roles that he played with confidence. And that actually is the ultimate style secrets. The confidence to be exactly that which you want to be and portray to the world. 
So that was the life and style of Clark Gable. What are the lessons? Because there are some. First, we just heard it, confidence. Confidence is the ultimate style secret. It's the ultimate secret to life. To achieve anything in life, to become whatever you want, you need to have confidence because confidence is the energy you radiate that is going out from you into the world and brings the good back to you. So he is a great example of that. Whatever the circumstances, have confidence in what you want, who you are and what you do. Second, work on who you want to be. Clark Gable wasn't born the perfect actor, nor the perfect debonair gentleman. He developed into it and he got help from those on his way to stardom. And just like Cary Grant, he is one of the examples of Hollywood man who rose from very humble beginnings to the ultimate gentleman with confidence and determination. And third, mind your image. Your image is everything. Be aware how people see you and be aware how you see yourself because self-esteem is actually the image you have with yourself. That determines your future. Even us normal mortals have an image. It is what people say about us when we are not in the room. Your reputation. And Clark Gable was very conscious about his image. As we learned from sometimes cutting scenes from movies that depicted Clark Gable in a light that was not in line with the character that he was and wanted to be. Neither in the role nor in real life. So always make sure that you know who you want to be and how you want people to see you. What is your brand image? What is your brand promise as a personal brand? Because all of us, we have a personality and our brand is us. How do we want to be seen? So be sure to be seen by people the way you want it. So this was the episode on Clark Gable, the king of Hollywood. And I hope you learned a little bit about him. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye.